do something tonight, potentially, that they haven't done since I was in high school. And that makes me feel sad and excited and nervous and all these different things all at once, right? Because that's absurd. It's, it's so absurd. It's When you're in this, like, I would say that the Leafs have mostly been a toxic relationship for a lot of people. That you invest a lot of time and a lot of money into the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they have given you very little back. No playoff wins in 17 years is astonishingly that, like low-level incompetence. The Leafs have been a laughingstock, and the last couple of seasons, while they've ended with great disappointment, they've resulted in this place where there's just this immense amount of frustration when anything goes wrong, but... I think a little bit of overconfidence when things are going right because you almost have to propel yourself into this headspace where things are finally changing because it's been so, so bad. And plus, it's hard to even complain sometimes, not really when the season is over, but when it's happening, A, because having a guy like Austin Matthews or having a team that's built this way that even has a hope of winning games is so much better than other positive realities where you had to talk yourself into things like Mikhail Grabowski's line being the best line on the team, right? Or signing Jason Blake is going to put you in to a more competitive stratosphere. Or, you know, it's just, it's been tough sledding. It has been tough sledding. Signing college free agents, signing Christian Hansen, that's what now makes Toronto special. They got Hanson. Bozak worked out, but still. Mm-hmm. The greater point exists, which is over the course of this 17 years, it's been bad. It started off with signing old vets, but not having the young skill around them. Like, imagine the Leafs were just Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza, for those of you that are younger listeners. Because that's what it was when it was Jason Allison and Alec and Eric Lindros. And that's how like the salary cap era got off was okay. Here's a bunch of guys who are way over the hill and you're not going to win any games. And it has been awful, 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 a mix of finishing too high in the standings to get a great pick, trading away picks and bad trades, trading away prospects and great trades, trading guys like, Tuka Rask for Andrew Raycroft. And now here they are 17 years later with an actual chance to beat a rival and take on that next test that they just they haven't been able to take on, that they only came close to once and it resulted in one of the most embarrassing Oof. moments, if not the most embarrassing moment in the franchise's history. So, yeah, I, I think that what you saw yesterday from New York Knicks fans where they were celebrating in the streets after tying a series at one and one. If you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan today and they win this series and you feel any level of shame for celebrating a round one series, you're a fool. This is a time to be happy. This is a time to be optimistic. You have had none of that essentially over 17 years. How about you treat yourself to a night of enjoying it Treat yourself to a night of appreciation because this is this is a oddly rarefied air for the biggest franchise in hockey. It's shocking. I mean, the 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 number of years is shocking, right? To go back to the last mm-hmm. series won by this franchise, 
the Boston Red Sox had not yet won a World Series in 86 years. Like, it was still the Red Sox are one of the joke franchises in all of baseball. That's how long ago we're talking about. The Maple Leafs just winning a series. Since like, Barry Trotz, Barry Trotz across three franchises since 2010 has won nine first-round series. Mm-hmm. This is from 2010. This franchise, which is... And the last series one was before the lockout, so there was no salary cap. Since there's been a salary cap, can't even win a single one. Didn't make the playoffs until the lockout shortened season in which they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. It was a full 82-game season, and they took advantage of Nazem Kadri getting some AHL seasoning and having a great, great season there. And then blowing the 4-1 lead in the third period of Game 3. It's just, it's unfathomable what's happened to this, which is still a glory franchise in the National Hockey League. I'm glad you brought up the Knicks because that is also a glory franchise and they have a brutal owner and yada, yada, yada. But I think everybody feels bad for that franchise and is enjoying watching them exult in victory. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, I cannot imagine the same scenario playing out across this country for Lee fans, obviously. Yeah. Um, first of all, I don't know who ever said the term glory franchise to you. That's an odd term that you seem Leafs. to have invented on your own there. Glory franchise. Like, okay. An original it's... six franchise, the hockey mecca yeah. of the world. Sure. I just, the term is, I'm not quibbling with the sentiment. The logo, I... the sweater. I'm not quibbling with the sentiment. I'm just nitpicking at the term. It sounds wrong, and it is. Uh, <laughs> no one has ever used that sentence before. I even threw it into Google as you were talking just to see if anyone has ever, and it's not even on, doesn't even register you, on the internet. What would you call it? What would you call it? Marquee? Marquee franchise? That's, now Now we're getting somewhere. But yeah, I've heard marquee franchise before. <laughs> glory well, franchise. Glory anyway. is my own. Good. Glory is my own. The sentiment, the sentiment is... Understood. The difference between the Knicks and the Leafs, though, do you know what it is? No, what is it? Nobody's afraid of the Knicks winning a championship. Nobody in the NBA is afraid of the Knicks actually winning. That's why everyone is getting behind the Knicks. Everyone knows that you're not winning a championship with Julius Randle and Derrick Rose and... Reggie Bullock, okay? He was great, yes. So, hey, root on. Go, Knicks, go. (laughs) Their fans exited the building last night chanting, we want Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. And the rest of NBA fans went, can you imagine how insufferable those people would be, that mob would be, if we want Brooklyn actually stood for we could beat Brooklyn instead of, we want to watch Brooklyn sweep our basketball team, which is what is going to play out. Right. There's a chance that, well, there, I mean, there's still a chance that the Leafs could blow the series and it could, you know, replace the Bruins' loss as something that is the worst thing that, you know, has happened to my sporting life. But there's a chance the Leafs can win. I'm sorry, but this is hockey. And I'm watching these other series and I'm thinking that those chances are lower than I did going into the playoffs. I did. Yeah. Well, especially, and, and this will bring us to Tavares as well, yeah. because I'm watching the Wild nod up the series with the Golden Knights last night and thinking, man, these guys must be livid that they're in this division. They must be sick to their stomachs that they have to beat Vegas and then they have to beat 
Colorado. But then I was thinking to myself, why do I care about this when this has been the Leafs story for the last two seasons? Everyone's like crying and complaining about the North being easy and these other teams having a path. And it's like Toronto's path has been Boston-Tampa, 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 if you ever want to do anything. And it looks like it's going to go back to that because the NHL is um, a terrorist to Canada that won't let Canada have anything where they're like, no, 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 no. We're a dictator. We know we've got you. We know we've got your money. We don't want any of your teams to win. We want the TNT deal to go off with of success. We'd rather see the Florida Panthers and the Arizona Coyotes in the championship than the Toronto Maple Leafs because that's the NHL's prerogative and it has been for a while now. So I don't care about those other teams. What I care about is where Toronto can go. And the reason why you're not going to see other fan bases look at the Leafs the way they do with the Knicks, where it's like, hey, I'm happy for those guys, that they've been real fans for a long time, is because everybody knows Leaf fans have a chance to win. That's why you see these Habs fans doing the, well, you're not going to win a Stanley Cup anyway, or good luck with the Jets, or the party stops with Colorado, or trying to compare them to the top teams, because they're already doing the mental exercise. They're already, you're in their head rent-free Maple Leafs fans. And I know non-Leafs fans listen to this show, and I know deep down, you might be going, these guys are delusional. These guys, I'm not saying they're going to win. I'm not saying they're favorites to win. But you know deep down that there's a chance. You know that it's not like the Knicks situation where they're cute and they can't go anywhere. The Leafs could do something. And that thought is keeping you up at night if you're a Montreal Canadiens fan. That thought is keeping you up at night if you're a Vancouver Canucks fan. That is living in your head on the daily. You go to sleep at night and you shoot up in a cold sweat at 3 a.m. Thinking, oh, I had a dream where the Leafs were one step closer to a Stanley Cup. And guess what? That could happen tonight. So eat it. And okay. enjoy it if you're the other fan bases. Or, I mean, uh, so enjoy it if you're a Leafs fan. Because it's happening. Uh, okay, so the biggest key here is Tavares, right? Okay. Wow, that was a lot. I had something to add there. All right. Add it. My, the only thing I was going to add was that in 2004, when the Boston Red Sox were that lovable franchise that had not won a uh, World Series in 86 years, and they were mm-hmm. so downtrodden, and they came off the... Aaron Boone home run against Tim Wakefield in Game Six against the New York, or sorry, Game Seven against the New York Yankees. I rooted for them. I wanted them to win, and then they won. And I, I've regretted my feelings that year ever since for the rest of my life. I wish I could have those feelings back and just, and they, they never happened because it was regrettable that I ever felt that way. So that might be what happens to people outside of Toronto if they rooted for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So Tavares. Here's Elliot's tweet. Quote, Potential next steps for Tavares. Light exercise, increasing intensity of workouts one day at a time, dash, dash, if he's ready for that. May include light skating in coming days. As it is a concussion, will be handled with tremendous care by Toronto medical staff and Tavares' own people. End quote. I'm going to tread very lightly here because there's nothing worse than insiders uh, or sorry, there's nothing insiders hate more than people like me speculating off of their direct reports and then them like someone like Elliot or CJ saying, that's not what I said and you're misinterpreting. This is all I'm going to say. The fact that we're even entertaining a discussion like this is a miracle. It's incredible. John Tavares, when he suffered that injury, you and I sat in horror and texted each other wondering if there was the potential he was never even going to play hockey again. And maybe they never get him back. 
maybe it's a concussion and he doesn't get right. And we've even seen times where guys step out on the ice because they're trying to come back from a concussion and then all of a sudden they realize that they're way further than they thought they were going to be. This is a tricky, 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 tricky injury. And yes, the Leafs are going to be cautious. Duba said it at the media conference when we gave him praise that he is going to do what's right for John Tavares, the man, well before he does right by him, the hockey player. But it's hard not to at least think about that and to think about that potential Jets matchup and what they have down the middle and the need for Tavares. And if we're doing that extension of the Leafs get to a Stanley Cup final and the Leafs put that fear into those other fan bases and they put that hope into the hearts of every Leafs fan that's been watching the last 17 years of this horror show, essentially, you're going to need John Tavares. So he's at the facility yesterday. And now there's even just a little bit of talk about what the rehab process would look like. And yeah, it's, it's very difficult not to be overly optimistic. I'm trying not to be. I'm trying my best to just ignore it and wait until it actually materializes in something. But where are you at with this? Because I'm just, I never imagined that a week after the injury, we would be having discussions about when he could be coming back. I, I just didn't think that wait for something to materialize something is materializing what are we talking about he's at the facility right and what he's doing on a daily basis we don't know but if he's there it means he is progressing he wouldn't Mm -hmm. be there if there was no chance for progression i told you the hat was a sign (laughs) yeah we need clarification on the hat but there he's not going to mastercard center if He's just like, you know, shaking hands. First of all, we're still in a lockdown and there's COVID protocols and it's not just if you're going to a place, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying that that's the reality of the situation. You're just not just going to a place to go visit and say, hi, guys, how's it going? You're going there because you're putting work in and you want to be monitored by the team doctors, by the team employees. And you want to start a progression towards returning to your job, which is a National Hockey League player. I don't like getting optimistic. That's the whole point of this report. And if the Maple Leafs didn't want you thinking about his return, they wouldn't tell you that he has now re-entered the building, that he's starting a progression. This is. But don't you think part of that can just be, hey, this guy... I, I, again, I know that I'm doing... I'm, I'm speaking out of both sides of my mouth here from the standpoint of I'm like, be happy and be optimistic in doing these things, but I am a scarred human being, and I have... Um, gone through the ringer when it comes to cheering for this franchise or caring about this franchise. And I I just don't have it in me to get optimistic about Tavares and and, and believe that he's going to play for this team again. Like, I'm just I mean, not... Do, do I can't that. do that. Well, but, I mean, no, you, but, but don't you think that part of this, these reports could just simply be, hey, this guy's healthy to the point where he's moving around and he's seeing people and we want you to know that because a lot of you felt the way that the two of us did watching that game, which was utter sickness and fear for that guy's future, again, beyond the arena. No, I think that was already established with the, the message. Well, one, when he left the hospital, that was that was essentially that, that he's okay, mm. that he was at home, that he was well enough to communicate with his teammates, that he released a statement. Uh, I think that, that message was already received by me, at least. Like I remember doing the show when we got that information, and I felt the sigh of relief. And I guess it wasn't explicit as to his state, but when it was mentioned that the, the knee injury was the thing that explicitly is going to keep him out for at least two, two weeks and not necessarily the concussion, 
that I think that was another indication that, okay, it's a concussion, and that's a long process, too, and there's certain protocols that we have to meet, but it's not something that is out of the realm of possibility that he could overcome because people do overcome concussions all the time. It Did I happen. tell you my conspiracy theory about the knee? About the hat? Oh, no, about the knee? No, no, yeah, the, no. the hat is a different thing. No, my knee conspiracy theory was that, like, the knee is really not that bad at all. It's just that oh, yeah, the knee did, was the buffer. Me, yeah, yeah. yeah, you did, actually. I know they were like, hey, don't even ask a question about this There's guy. So Give many... us two weeks before we even have There's to There's so assess. many conspiracy theories that I had. Like, I, yeah, yeah, I, don't I trust heard anybody. that one. Yeah, oh, hey. I had to go through my Rolodex, my mental Rolodex of all your conspiracy theories to remember that yeah. one. But, yes, I do recall that, yes, there hey. was a conspiracy theory posited by you that the knee thing isn't really a big deal, but it's cover for the fact that you don't even want to, anyone getting their hopes up for two weeks for this guy. Yeah, now That's I right. It's a two-week buffer to not even ask a question about his health and his status or anything alike on, to do with it. To just be like, hey, and also to fans on the team to be like, hey, don't even think about him coming back for this series. The series is done, but it's not because we're ruling out something we can't measure. It's because of a knee, and we know the knee, but it's like, no, it's not. It's, it's to give him... Take the pressure off him, take the pressure off the team, take the pressure off yep. the fan base, all those things. Just a conspiracy theory, all right? Sometimes people say crackpots are crackpots, and then other times those crackpots are at Area 51 saying, hey. I told you so, and the government's saying, hey, we got UFOs, you know? Just saying, yeah, yeah. just saying. Yeah, some, sometimes you break into Mel Gibson's house, and he's got a million copies of Catcher in the Rye. <laughs> Man, it's a deep cut for anyone that saw that movie. Did you see it? You obviously did. You're laughing like you saw yeah. it. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, it was, I saw it once. Was it good? I don't. No. I remember enjoying it at the time. No. What do you want to see tonight? So we talk so much about this season being about style points, style points, style points, style points during the regular season, even really style points during this series. And by and large, there's been a lot of style points earned in pockets, especially defensively, and the way they've limited this team that's clearly not up to snuff, that finished well below 500 when you consider how many uh, loser points they've picked up this season. Okay, they've gotten a few. Not enough for my liking. Montreal Canadiens have scored four goals in this series. Leafs have scored seven five-on-five goals in this series. There's a couple empty netters, and there's three power play goals. And I'm not saying that the top players haven't looked good and Austin Matthews has been a steady force throughout it. Mm. But I want to see I want to see some some offensive firepower in this game. I want to see more offense. And I get it. Carey Price has made some big saves as well. I, I want to see an absolute thumping, leaving no doubt in this game to close it out. Yeah, the Leafs point leaders are Nylander with five and Kerfoot with five. And Spezza is tied with Matthews, Marner, uh, I think Riley, and Galchenyuk at three. So everyone is very, very reticent to say anything critical about Austin Matthews. Mitch Marner absorbs a lot of that for sure. Fans have made it very clear that Marner has not lived up to expectation this series, despite, again, some, like, added challenges. And I, I don't think Marner gets enough credit for his complete game and the fact that he's just, like, one of the most trustworthy guys that you can put out onto the ice. But those two guys are here to, especially with a line with Hyman, 
the case for having Hyman on that line was that it was going to dominate. And they've had games where they've done that. They've had the first two where the shot share was just heavily in their favor and game two, Matthews was everywhere. Um, they've slowed down since then. And I kind of want to see that line kick ass tonight. If the Canadians are defeated, you know, it's been made a lot of what they looked like on the bench at the end of that game. They're going to be here in Toronto, and they can't score goals, which has to be, you know, an added frustration for them. I, I would like to see the Matthews line click a little bit better. That That's what I would like to see tonight. So when you're talking about dominance, I guess they're two of the exact same thing, but... I would like to see Austin Matthews score. I would like to see Mitch Marner look a little bit more dangerous. I would like to see Zach Hyman maybe drive to the net and bang one in. Um, those three guys for a series against Montreal, despite being you know hard matched with Deneau and all of those things and Montreal's greatiness and Carey Price's performances and blah, 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 blah. They're going to be going into a series with the Jets where they're going to be facing stiffer competition against you know a goaltender who is going to play just as well as Carey Price is playing, or you would assume anyways, or you can at least draw the line that he's going to do the same thing. And it, while they're still waiting for John Tavares, I, you've got to be able to lean on those guys for offense because getting stuff from Alex Kerfoot is really nice, and it's been enjoyable. Same goes for Galchenyuk. But those guys have to lead you. Those guys have to carry you. So I'd, I would like to see maybe not less balance – but a little more dominance up top. Well, that's the thing. That's what makes me kind of sheepish to say it because it's, man, this was a one-line team a season ago in five games against the Columbus Blue Jackets. You're like, can no, no, they find any depth uh, scoring down this lineup? Obviously mm -hmm. not. And the Tampa Bay Lightning won a cup in the bubble last year with basically one scoring line. Yep. It's nice to get those bonus depth goals. But this team is only going to go as far as that top line takes them. It's not like Matthews and Marner and Hyman have been bad. But yeah, put it put it on the Montreal Canadiens. Leave no doubt. Uh, that would be good. Good song choice by Lance because it's a kind of an optimistic feeling right now. Leafs game day. Good show. Sportsnet 5.9 of the fan. J.D. Bunkus. Ben Ennis. Follow us on our Instagrams and Twitter at JD Bunkus at Sportsnet Ben and hard to imagine there being a story bigger than just, you know, the Maple Leafs playing a game tonight, but that appears to be the case. And again, speaking of social media, I would guess that Chris Johnson at Reporter Chris is has maybe tweeted his most popular tweet ever, one where he's not gonna see a single negative comment. Mm -hmm. I hope not anyways. It's going to have its most likes. It's going to have its most retweets, most views. John Tavares skating at Scotiabank Arena. CJ joins us now. What's up, bro? Believe it or not, there was one negative comment I saw. Oh, so, you know. Of course you No, of course. It's we don't need internet. to repeat it, but I'm just saying that people can, like, be miserable about anything, basically. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, so I've watched it. And I, it's on my screen right now. And it's just been there since you tweeted it. I can't believe it's real. I, I guess let's just start with that. Like, you're surprised that this happened so quickly, like you recording this and just your feeling watching it. Yeah, it's nuts. I mean, it's a week since, you know, John was taken off on a stretcher. So, you know, we, we all had very real concerns for his health at that point in time. And so to, to see him in here this morning skating, you know, I would never have predicted that then. I mean, 
it's become, you know, I guess increasingly clear the last few days that his recovery was going well, that, that he was doing better, that, you know, he was into the practice rink yesterday to, to see his teammates and, and the like, you know, I think it, you know, it became, it became more apparent that this was possible, but, you know, even arriving here this morning, I wasn't sure I would see that. Yeah. Uh, I was shocked because, yeah, you had the story yesterday about him going into the practice facility, but not on the ice, and not a, we didn't even know if he was doing any activities inside there. And now he's on the ice, like where are they going to play the game, which is wild. So what's the next step here? Uh, I, do you expect to be given some information from the team? Like are we going to hear from John Tavares? I, I don't want you to put any timelines on it because who could at this moment? But what what is the next step, do you think? Well, I would think, you know, the Leafs skate at 10.30. Sheldon Keefe will speak, you know, probably post 11.30, and, and he'll provide some kind of update. You know, my sense, look, he, he skated for a little bit more than 15 minutes. It was what I would call a light skate. There was some shooting of the puck and stick handling and things. But, you know, I, I think it's clear that there's going to be a process here. And I, and I believe the Leafs are, are going to be very patient. You know, one thing that Kyle Dubas mentioned when he spoke on Saturday was that you know, they feel a need to almost protect the player from themselves. You know, that was kind of the spirit of what he was saying, um, you know, especially when it comes to something like a concussion. So, you know, I don't think that there'll be any sort of effort to expedite this and they're, they're going to want to be careful. And typically when any player is recovering from a concussion, you know, the, what has to happen is they increase, you know, the, the amount of work they're doing in exercise. And, and then you have to see if, if symptoms come on afterwards. And so, you know, I would think that John will be riding the bike and we'll see him, maybe do some more skates like you did here this morning and just, you know, see how his body and, and, and mind react to those skates. And, you know, let's, let's hope for his sake that there's there's no issues there. And then at some point he's going to have to ramp up, you know, the intensity and rejoin the team at practice before he plays. So, you know, w- without having specific info, I'm, you know, I think it's still a, a little ways away, but, you know, this is a big step for him to put on his equipment and be out there and, and you know, start this process. Yeah, the brain injury stuff, the concussion, it's it's impossible to understand how long that can take, and it's it varies so much from incident to incident, from person to person. But the knee stuff was what was what stood out when Kyle Dubas addressed the situation and put a two-week timeline on it. But him being on the ice makes me feel a little bit differently about that injury. Like, what are we looking at? Uh, we know from a larger perspective, the brain injury is the more serious thing and the most unpredictable. But what is the thing that we're waiting on first to get back to playing for John Tavares. Is the knee injury as significant as you anticipated if he's on the ice a week later? Yeah, I don't think it's too, too bad. I mean, look, they said a minimum two weeks for that. And, you know, that that's probably consistent with what we're seeing because, you know, even if he didn't have the, the head injury, you know, I, I don't think that based on the, the, the pace I just saw him skating at, it would still be, a period of time uh, before he was in a position to play in a game, especially a playoff game. So, you know, it, I, I, I think that what it tells us about the knee injury is that it's probably not too much to be concerned about. Um, you know, obviously I'm sure there's some, some rehab work going on and, you know, maybe a little discomfort for John as he gets back skating, but, you know, I, I don't think he'd be out there if that, if that was a serious injury, just cause you know, there, there'd be no point. And so, um, you know, I think that the, the brain will be the one that, that, takes the time and the concussion and just making sure that, he, that he's cleared that way uh, before he's back playing. Yeah, it's very clear and obvious that they're not going to rush him back and that because of the nature of this, the severity of it, what we know is that, yeah, that they're going to do right by Tavares. And 
if he's going to be playing in hockey games, it's going to mean that he's ready to play in hockey games. Um, but I guess we'll wait to hear from Keith today. And this is going to be, you know, now a, a growing story as things progress, especially if the Leafs can move on tonight. And I, I guess that just leads us right into the next question, which is if the Leafs win tonight, when will they be playing hockey again? Well, I haven't heard anything specific, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's Saturday. Um, you know, I have to emphasize, you know, that's not uh, confirmed or anything I've heard specifically. But, look, the North Division started the playoffs behind all the other divisions. You know, one of the reasons that, that the two North Division series included a back-to-back games in them was, was to try to catch up to the other series. And so, you know, given that the Leafs would open round two at home, uh, if they advance past Montreal to face Winnipeg, you know, I can't see any reason why they couldn't play that as soon as Saturday night. That was the fear. Uh, I didn't want yeah. to hear that. That was the one where, like, we were doing this on the phone last night, yeah. Ben and I, and yeah. I said, why wouldn't they try to get it Saturday and have that quick a turnaround? And he's like, no, no way, and they're not going to start the series before the well, others are done. I was like, yeah, you know, maybe that's the case. Maybe start Tuesday. That would be great. We get it. And I was like, uh-uh, this is bad. Well, but that's the thing, CJ. Like, this league does not start series before the other round. Like, other games in the previous series are completed, right? Although I suppose the rest of the playoffs started while the Flames and Canucks were playing regular season games. But if the Hurricanes lose tonight to the Predators, that Game 7, I assume, is on Saturday as well. Would that impact things? I I don't think so in this case, just because it is such a weird year. they got to get the Stanley Cup handed out by mid-July. And so I think that there's a little bit more push on with the playoffs. Obviously, the second round is tied directly within division. So there is an ability, you know, I don't think they want one series starting too, too far before any of the others because there's a possibility that a team's got like a 10-day layoff or something like that. Um, but, you know, I do think it is possible they, they get going. But, you know, I, this, this is a conversation happening above my pay grade at, at the TV station and with the league. And, you know, I don't, I don't actually know in this case, you know, when everything's going to get going. But, you know, I, I do think that it would make a lot of sense to, to start an next round on Saturday if, if the Leafs finish this one off tonight, but that's certainly not a foregone conclusion either. Yeah, it's a win for everybody other than potentially Leafs fans who are trying to buy as much time as possible to get Tavares back healthy and also Felino back healthy, who has been lost in the shuffle a little bit here because of the success of the Leafs' depth, frankly, and now John Tavares taking uh, a skate. Felino's out there with him. What can you tell us about the latest on Felino? Well, it's an issue that he's been managing, I think, for some time. You know, we saw him miss two regular season games uh, late in the year. You know, he took the warm-up before game three, so he was obviously trying to play on Monday night in Montreal. You know, ended up missing that game and, and you know, the one on Tuesday. I, the fact he's out early today, I'm, I don't know if I should read too much into it. You know, we'll see if he joins his teammates now when they actually do the official morning skate here shortly. But, you know, I... It kind of points to me potentially points to him potentially being out tonight again, yeah. and you know maybe it makes sense in this case given that it has been a you know sort of a chronic or a longer term issue for for Nick Foligno um, to to exercise absolute caution when you're up three one in a series things have gone well without him, and you know they can buy him some more time to recover. So you know, I think the fact that he was taking that early skate today with John Tavares is, is probably a good sign he's missing tonight's game as well. And you know I I don't think it's I don't think it's an injury that's going to keep him out the rest of the playoffs, but obviously it's something he's managing and getting treatment on and trying to, to get to feel more comfortable out there. Right. And that we, Ben and I, I think both had the, were of the position that if it is a lingering injury and considering where you're at with Tavares, 
you probably don't play Felino unless this series somehow gets to a game seven. Um, I think you sit him down and that your uh, your guess is probably right in that he's out there right now because he's already been told like, hey, you're you're not gonna be in this one. It also makes me look a little differently at his ice time and his deployment because I was pretty critical at first about him not getting enough. And now I'm worried whether or not he's ever going to be able to play, you know, more than 13, 15 a night when, yeah, he's he's dealing with something that has been around for, for quite some time now. So, yeah, the series is on the ropes. Uh, you don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. And even though we are already talking about the next series and Tavares coming back and all this different stuff. But so far, this was a question that we had yesterday, but I wanted to ask it to you because you've been closer to it. What What's the story of this series to you so far? Probably the least depth, you know, maybe a little bit boring, but, you know, I wouldn't have expected a line of Kerfoot, Galchenyuk, and Nylander to have the success it did, especially in game four. You know, we've seen Jason Spezza really do it all year, but in limited minutes, again, he's he's out here putting up points at five on five. You know, he's not getting cheap points. He's not shooting pucks in empty nets or getting second assists on a power play. I mean, he's he's making plays and, and you know, taking advantage of the fact that, that his line's typically out there against you know, some weaker competition from the other team. And, and, you know, I think that this is kind of the way the Leafs are built, frankly. I mean, they, they have the high-end elite talent, but, you know, quite often in a playoff series, uh, we see those players sort of cancel each other out at times at the top of the lineup. And, you know, to get through and, and to win rounds and to survive the injuries and everything that comes along, you know, even shooting luck and things like that. Because, you know, if you look at Austin Matthews, he's got way more shots and shot attempts than anyone in this series. He's hit two posts. I know he scored the one goal, but, you know, I think, quite clearly if he just keeps shooting at this rate he's going to fill the net at some point and so the key is giving him a long enough uh, road to, to get to do that and, and I think the Leafs depth has, has has given them the, the ability and you know I guess if you want a secondary storyline it's probably just a sign of what we saw all year but this is reinforced just how much better the Leafs are defensively I think uh, you know versus previous incarnations you know I, I know that the, the Habs piled up shots in the third period while trailing in each of the last two games but if you look at Kind of the way this series has gone, the Leafs are not giving up a lot of high danger chances. Certainly not uh, giving up much in, in the shot department. I think that that's put Jack Campbell in a position to succeed uh, between the pipes. Uh, yeah, the the depth has been incredible, especially coming off that game in Montreal. Um, and we're talking about players potentially returning, and, and Tavares and Felino, obviously not imminently, but at some point it becomes a decision who comes out again. And I, I just wonder who the bubble players are at this point because it seems to be shifting. Like Brooks is the obvious guy, I suppose, but Pierre Engvall was out to start the series. He's had real moments. Alex Galchenyuk with his best game as a Toronto Maple Leaf in, in Game 4. Joe Thornton scores the goal, but, I mean, if you're just going on merit, hard not to look at him. Like, how do you view the, the bubble forwards on this Leafs team when you have decisions upcoming in, in the coming weeks? Assuming full health, I'd be very surprised if they scratched Thornton, to be honest. I think that, you know, he's kind of a foundational piece for them at this point in time and, and what he brings to the, the team. Um, you know, Brooks would be the first guy likely to be taken out. I, I still think Elchenyuk would be a pretty likely candidate as well. You know, sounds kind of crazy coming off a three-point game where he looked so good, but, you know, game three didn't go so well for him. He took the, the high-staking penalty early on and, and didn't get a lot of ice time in that game. Um, you know, this is a good problem to have, though. I mean, the truth is is that very few teams, the longer they play through the playoffs, or ever get completely healthy. You know, you're going to have to, you know, I'm not trying to wish anything upon anyone here, but there's likely to be more injuries, and, and I think a lot of these decisions will in some ways take care of themselves. Um, you know, especially since I think there's some some lead time before 
we're seriously talking about John Tavares rejoining the lineup, and but even Nick Foligno might might be a little bit here. Um, but but those those are the guys, and you know it, you need more than 18 skaters to win a Stanley Cup, and so I think that that we've already seen that the Leafs made a switch on D last game, so you know that they're working all these guys in and trying to keep them fresh in case they're needed. Yeah, and I also. I like the idea that, again, not the process, but the results, that guys are all a part of this already, that Galchenyuk has gotten into a game, that Engvall has gotten an opportunity, that Brooks has gotten an opportunity. I really wish they didn't play Travis Dermott. It worked out, though, so fine. He gets to be a part of it. Anderson was the only guy, the old, only odd man out, but... Again, it like the decision kind of did become an obvious one where they had to roll back to Jack Campbell and he rewards them with a shutout, right? So uh, assuming things go the way that they're looking like they're going to go, which is Montreal being eliminated in this series, mm-hmm. I, I've been teasing Habs fans a lot, rightly so, because they deserve every ounce of it. Um, but a lot of talk going into this year about how they went all in a lot of talk about how they were built for the playoffs. And I know that these narratives can shift throughout the course of a season and that expectations do change, but it's still a team that made trades like going out and getting stall. Right? So it's not as though they didn't feel as though they were trying to compete in this division. You and I have had multiple conversations about the North pressure and what this is going to do to yeah, really shine a spotlight on the teams that are disappointing. And yes, there's one on Edmonton right now. It's a big one on Edmonton. Man, there's a big one on Calgary. It feels like all these teams are essentially in a crisis mode. How do you view the situation in Montreal? Because they've got a really, really, really big offseason ahead of them. And Mark Bergevin, after looking like he was going to be executive of the year, it's not looking like that right now. No, I think they have to revisit to some degree their their process, their 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 strategy, their you know their their vision for how they're building the team. I mean, it's it's interesting. It feels a lot different even than it did for them in the bubble last year. They they turned over the roster a little bit for that experience in August. You know, they they played their younger players like Kakinami and Suzuki. You know, gave Jake Evans a chance. You know, shifted away from I guess some veteran players that had been there just prior to the pandemic hitting and and. So you, you felt like you were watching the start of what, what could be for this team. And then, you know, they get to the playoffs now and, and Cole Caulfield has to sit the first two games. We haven't seen Alexander Romanov uh, play at all in this series, which which I find a little surprising, frankly. And, you know, so I, I think that they have to relook at how things are done. Um, and, and, you know, I guess probably the biggest question of all is, will Mark Bergevin be the one doing that? Uh, you know, Elliot reported on headlines a few weeks ago about him having some some conversations with Jeff Molson, the Canadian donor, about his future. He's got one year left on his contract, but you know, some talk about him maybe extending that deal. You know, maybe not. You know, I, I don't know what direction they go in here, but I agree with your premise. You know, even if they push this to seven, I think even if they were to come back and win this series, it probably wouldn't change some some difficult or fundamental conversations that have to happen in that front office and and you know, figure out what the path is because, um, you know, it just feels like they, they've taken a bit of a step back. 
Are, are you surprised at how they've looked? Because the regular season was – like, the record is not great. 24-21 and 11 during the course of the regular season, but there was a lot of back-loaded games in that schedule because of the COVID break and there were mitigating circumstances, and there's still good young players. Like, I think everybody likes Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson in game one was great, and Cole Caulfield's got a lot of promise. And the Leafs, you got to give them credit for the way they play defensively, but they've looked so overwhelmed and just so anemic. Are you surprised at how the, the series has just looked from an, at a static point through uh, four games? Yeah, I'd say a little bit. You know, I, I expected the Leafs, you know, the Leafs had the upper hand in this series, obviously. Um, but I, I expected it maybe to be a little bit more even than what we've seen. You know, the Canadians have players, though. Like, I, I don't think that even, again, if they lose tonight and they go out in five, there might be a tendency almost to swing back the other way and, and be overly hard on them. Like, I, I think that they've got something there. What they're missing, and, and, and it's, I don't know how they answer the question, is, you know, they don't have the elite elite players that Toronto does. Uh, that some other teams in, in their division next year are going to have. You know, they're, they're going to go back into an Atlantic division with, you know, Tampa and Boston, the Leafs, even Florida's, you know, really come on here. You know, it's it's going to be a, a tough, it's it's going to be tough for them. Um, but, you know, they, they, they've they built a, a reasonably good organization. I think they have to try and somehow push through to, to become great. And, and I don't know that there's a clear, easy answer uh, or, or diagnosis that can be done on, on how they accomplish that. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm also hesitant to get too far ahead of myself because I've just seen enough playoff series. You know, I've seen Minnesota come back from three, one against Vegas and force game seven. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't take much sometimes for the pendulum to swing the other way. And nope. you know, if Montreal finds a way to plant some doubt tonight, you know, put some pucks behind Jack Campbell, get a win, go home. They're going to have fans Saturday. I mean, you know, this, this, this isn't totally out of their grasp just yet. So let's not write the old bit too soon. No, I'm not. It's just those other teams showed to me a lot more than Montreal has shown. And, yeah, you still got Carey Price, and there's some things that you can – there's some narratives you can create in your head that get you there, but there's not as many as some of the other series from Montreal. It is very, very difficult for me to see how the clearly inferior team down three games gets back into this. But, again, maybe this is a soundbite for – you know, Montreal radio and every show in Montreal for uh, the rest of eternity. Old but, takes exposed, J.D. Bunkus. Yeah. Oh, buddy, if old takes – if t- Toronto loses the series, again, it doesn't matter. I, I have already said I, I'm living in the woods. Um, I don't have an internet connection. I'm growing a ratty beard. Um, yeah, that's it. It's just – it's done. Part. It's done for me. I'm, I'm completely severed from society. That's the only way I'm going. So you mentioned it, though. It's like if the Leafs lose this game – the big story is going to be, well, now you're in front of some fans in Montreal. There's 2,500 people there, and that's something. You'll take that something. Where are we with any discussion about putting fans in the building in the city of Toronto? Because if you're just looking at this from a comparison standpoint with the states when it comes to vaccination rates and yeah, ability to execute something like this, it's becoming pretty plausible, and yet we haven't heard uh, a peep about the potential for this, despite, again, overwhelming evidence that we probably should be at least starting conversations. I don't see it, man. You know, uh, this is Why? this is a little bit beyond my purview, but we, we don't have schools open. I mean, we can't go get haircuts. I, I just, I, I don't imagine that the government's going to allow that to happen. Uh, you know, obviously, this is something. If it can be done safely, the Leafs would want to have happen. I think that 
pretty clear that it's it's a nice sign that business is getting back to normal. It's it's a sign of hope for people. You know, if there is a game six in the series, even if it is just twenty five hundred people, I think it'll be pretty cool to have people back and uh, and yes. you know be the be the first time we have fans at a Canadian sporting event and it's since March of twenty twenty. Uh, but you know, if the Leafs play long enough, I think that you'll you'll there's going to be the possibility for it. But I, it just doesn't seem like we're quite there yet. Is the best way I can put it. CJ, I can't wait to see you uh, accept your Academy Award for the uh, video that you posted today. Mm-hmm. Um, well done. I don't know what your producer, director, it's probably going to be um, Both. Best Picture as well, which you'll go up for. But yeah. I brought a tear to my eye. Yeah. Well, cinematography, all of it. Great job. It's really uh, well shot. You know, you yeah. keep them in frame. It's really good. Yeah. It's a great mm-hmm. video. No, Good well job. Done. All of our all of our cameramen's jobs are safe. My cell phone video from the press box is not going to uh, threaten, threaten their livelihood. That's what you say. A little so too you modest. Say. You know, you should, uh, they say in this business, don't be too good at things that are outside of your job description. It means get, you start doing more stuff, you know. Yeah. Might have to add right. cameraman to your resume. It's going to be tough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. Please, yeah. <laughs> See you, CJ. See you, guys. There's Chris Johnson, the NHL and Sports and Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, yeah, no, schools aren't open, are they? Mm. Love how that was priority. It's like, schools, that's important. Schools, no, we've completely forgotten about it. Uh, n- no, schools? Oh, did we mention schools? No, 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 not a priority anymore. Children, our youth, the the irreparable damage we've done on the adults of tomorrow no, no, no. Forget about that. It's not important. Not important. What are you talking about? 65% vaccination rate. Who cares? The Higher kids can go that, back no. to school in months and months and months. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Again, everybody wants safety. Everybody wants this to be done in uh, a way that makes sense. But it's getting harder and harder to watch these games south of the border. It's getting harder and harder to even understand how Montreal is talking about 2,500 people and that here it's not, it's, it's not even a, well, next round they're discussing or there's anyone lobbying for this or there's any discuss- – and it's – to me it's now getting to the point where it's criminal that this is happening and the way that it's happening. And I've said it before, but it really does feel like we are living in the dumbest place where nothing seems to make sense. And all you have to do is be quiet, and because anything to the contrary is perceived as unsafe, when in reality that's not what any, well, I think most people are advocating for. So I thought you raised a really good question about the depth as to like who the bubble guys are. And to me it's pretty clear like that it's Brooks 1 and Galchenyuk 2. My issue, I would say, is it's going to come back to the same thing, which is Joe Thornton's going to keep making it awkward. And if Galchenyuk comes out of the lineup, and he should if he's not in the top six, but then there's this case of, like, you're giving guys offensive draws and who's playing with Spezza and blah, blah, blah. It's just, it's hard. You have to just remember the things that Thornton is providing go beyond, you know, watching him skate right now. That's all I can say to myself to try to maintain some level of sanity. But... I do love that a lot of these guys, again, the process sucks with Tavares' injury and with Felino's injury, but the fact that all of these guys have already gotten a chance to play a part in 
with this team in meaningful games that these guys have already gotten an opportunity to jump in the lineup and and make an impact like every single one of them essentially except for really although brooks got a little tussle so that was cool that that has real significance to me because cj's right depth is always going to be something you need through this you know um through the stanley cup playoffs i want to say war of attrition but so lame um so I'm glad that those guys have some ownership over the team already in, in those meaningful games. No, this could be the ultimate best, not again, the process is bad, but the scenario is going to paint itself into a good one where you're right, those depth players get in and make impacts. And also, say you win today, or even if it takes Saturday, that you kind of just slide into the, the playoffs this way, that you get over that hump, that you win your first series in almost 20 years in the manner in which you did, where there was some drama, but not a ton. But you get that elephant off your back um, in this way against one of your historic rivals. All right, I'll throw you a bone here. As first reported by J.D. Bunkus... John Tavares' knee injury, apparently not as severe as initially thought, on the ice today. Uh, before the main group, as was Nick Foligno. Nick Foligno, though, not skating with the main group either. So Nick Foligno not in tonight, and John Tavares obviously not in tonight. But John Tavares skating, when it was literally one week ago today, we saw something on the ice which uh, we'll never forget, and I've only just seen the replays in the moment, obviously never gone back to look at a replay intentionally, and still have not gone back to the scariest moment of all, which was in the immediate aftermath, him trying to get up. But yeah, he's skating again a so, week later. Th- there's no doubt that the most memorable moment of the series is going to be the Tavares injury, right? Like, of course. That's going to be seared in everyone's minds forever. Um but I do think that now, strangely enough, the second most memorable thing when we look back on this is going to be seeing the video of him skating and that the two of those things now are going to be linked, which is terrific. But maybe it also leads in a little bit into what our next guest was talking about on Twitter the other day, which is that for – I won't put words in his mouth, but it was to the something to the effect of hasn't lived up quite to the height. Mark Mathot, uh, former NHL defenseman, um, podcast host, media member, Twitter, uh, agitator, all the things. Um, again, the uh, Wally and Mathot podcast, wallyandmathot.com. He joins us now. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Good. How you guys doing? It's good to be here. Good, man. Good. So, yeah, I actually got a couple of things that I really want to talk to you today about, so I'm, I'm glad you're on. Because, um, yeah, your Twitter account is always very, very good. But, yeah, um, Habs Leafs, you tweeted that you felt like there was something missing. And... I don't know if that's fans because we're watching these other games for you. Because, again, for, for somebody like me, like my team, the Seattle Seahawks, when they won the Super Bowl, I went to work the next day and everyone was like, that was the worst Super Bowl ever. And I was like, what? No, it was the best one. That was the yeah. best one, everybody. And they were like, no, it was a blowout. It was over the first snap of the game. It sucked. And I was like, I hadn't even thought about it like that because I'm yeah. in it and I'm experiencing the emotions of it. And, yeah, I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan who was in high school the last time they won a playoff series. So I don't really feel as though, like, I have the uh, – perception maybe that's needed for some of these things i'm always like i'm unbiased enough to be able to see things as they are but this series has not been boring to me and it hasn't missed anything to me because the leafs are winning it like they're missing john tavares and nick felino that's all i see is missing yeah yeah well you know what when i so i tweeted out that i thought the series 
you know, if I'm going to paraphrase, it was a little anticlimactic, right? It wasn't really um, – I, I didn't find it overly exciting so far at the very least. But I can imagine if you're a Toronto fan that it's going terrific, right? Like if you're, if you're on that side and you're in Toronto – you're happy with the way things are going, and rightfully so. And when I tweeted that, I had a bunch of weird fanboy Toronto Maple Leaf avatar accounts coming after me, and I'm assuming they're probably 12 years old. But oh, yeah. that that wasn't a jab at Toronto. I mean, God, I, I have them moving out of this series. Like, I, I've got them winning. I'm, I'm cheering them on. So um, I just think that there's the, the series, and this could be attributed to the lack, or, or zero fans, I should say, but I find it's just lacking a little bite. You know, the, the, the storylines within the game of the scrums after the whistle, not that I'm advocating for that. I just find it's missing a little bit of that, you know, that little bite that you t- tend to see in other series, like the Tampa Florida one, for example. Like, that was electric right off the start, right? But in any case, if you're Toronto, this is exactly what you want. It's an easy series. It's not overly physical. It's all puck possession on Toronto's part. I mean, it's, it's playing out very well for them. I, I actually wonder if other fan bases are quite like Toronto's in the sense of, like, it's so big, right? It's so big that there's just yeah. so many different factions of it. But, and, and like, again, I'm, I'm going out on old man limb here, which sucks. This is just an old man take incoming hot here. But, yeah, there's a certain section of, like, young, terminally online Leafs fans that have never even seen, like, hockey beyond Austin Matthews era that get infuriated <laughs> that get truly infuriated by like any insinuation that's negative and like they feel as though like criticism right. or anything is like you know any discussion about anything other than like oh AM 34 top shelf is like a bad one and that like everything is like mental health if you're like oh that guy sucked tonight they're like wow you can't say that it's mental it's bad there's a really bad section of it so here's my advice <laughs> if you see those avatars I would just do what the rest of us do which is like the old mute button and yell into the void right. and that's just the <laughs> the play on that one but yeah, yeah so that's, that's good advice yeah, I, I I would say that if there's anything missing, and I'm just going to admit this, and this is going to be the all-time curse, but it's that, yeah, I haven't really been afraid. And you're yeah. supposed to feel a little bit more afraid of a team when right. you're in a Stanley Cup playoff series. But this is my only pushback where it's like something's missing. It's like there have been scrums. Matthews is getting hit, and guys are oh, – man, yeah. Shea Weber and Ben Sherratt are like, we're going to lay all the lumber. Like if you stand here, we're going to just cross-check you to the point where Shea Weber has to give out extra cash for it. There's right. been some physical stuff, but Wayne Simmons has been going around barking. To me, the fans are a major component. But the second part is that it's just like I can't even really make – anything of Montreal because they just look so undeserving of being here. Like this team rots. Yes. And that's my point. I mean, I think, I mean, first of all, they're over 13. I mean, I know you guys probably have all the numbers. I'm not here to talk numbers, but they have zero. They're over 13 on their power play. And then with Toronto, you've got good secondary scoring and we all knew this would happen. I mean, if you want a good team and I know from experience, you need secondary scoring in the playoffs. You need your second, third, and fourth line even to come up big once in a while with a big goal, and they're providing that. So that has got to be incredibly comforting if you're a Toronto player and or fan. So things are just going very well, but to your point, when you're talking about Montreal, that's just it. What, are, what is their identity? Like, really, when you're looking at their lineup, what are they built for? Well, they're built for that hard-nosed type series, right? That's the way Bergevin kind of brought this team together. 
Gallagher's leading the charge. I'm like, no one's getting in front of Campbell and getting in his face, making very light contact. And I've heard some people float around, you know, the idea that, well, maybe the Tavares thing, the situation, the unfortunate event in that game one, was sort of a proponent of that in that it kind of deflated the series for Montreal. Perry kind of lost a bit of his, of his edge. I mean, you can, you can throw all these, these, you know, these opinions out there, but at the end of the day, Montreal is not really playing to their strength. And Toronto is all puck possession with them. Like, look at their second period. They're dominating in the second period. It's not even close. And that's all puck possession. So for me, I mean, Montreal is out of this at this point. It's not even a discussion anymore. Since April 1st, the Montreal Canadiens are 9-13-2. That was the way they finished off the regular season. And they're obviously 1-3 yeah. uh, in the postseason. Since April 1st, the Ottawa Senators were 11-8-1. And you're a guy who's not afraid to make a headline. Would you like to go ahead and say that the Ottawa Senators would provide greater resistance to the Toronto Maple Leafs in this series than the month than the Montreal you know, Canadiens? I, I hate I hate saying that only because they don't deserve to be there, right? I mean, they didn't earn it. They played very well, as you mentioned, in that last stretch, but they don't deserve to be there. Do I think they'd put up a better fight right now? I think anybody would agree with that. I think yes, but. All of a sudden, the games are incredibly meaningful, and we don't know how good that young group would fare against an established team like the Toronto Maple Leafs. So it's easy to say, well, Ottawa's great. They were playing in a lot of games toward that stretch at the end there that didn't really mean a whole lot, so they were playing free under no pressure. So having said all that, yeah, I'd still would I'd still be bold enough to say that they put up a better fight than Montreal, but really, I mean, you, 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 there's no way of knowing that or quantifying it. Yeah, JD's trying to say something. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I can tell you that they would because it's like almost impossible to put up less. Like, again, <laughs> you just, uh, Montreal can't get to the middle of the ice, period. Like, they just cannot yeah, get there. The middle of the yeah. ice is just like, they're like, we will not ever go there. We hate it there. We, I think, I can remember one Caulfield off the bar chance off the rush where it was like a two on one where yeah. he got a good opportunity. And then the rest of it is like, oh, that's another cool shot from the half wall that. Jack Campbell swallowed up without any problem because nobody was in front of the net and the play died. <laughs> it's just, it's over. So, Absolutely. yeah, I just, yeah, I can picture a guy like, you know, Brady Kachuk in this series versus a guy like Kakanyemi who went a pick before him and say, you know, one guy is way better than the other guy and is more impactful than the other guy. And people in Ottawa yeah. should thank Mark Bergevin every day. There should be a shrine for Mark Bergevin <laughs> making that pick and go with Kakanyemi <laughs> over Brady Kachuk. People are going to look back on that like, what exactly? How did this happen? This is That's going to be like Mitchell Trubisky getting taken ahead of Patrick Mahomes kind of stuff, like where everybody <laughs> remembers that pick and everybody remembers that exact player because it's already like, oof, I know – uh, we've been told by sports media figures that you're not allowed to say the word bust anymore because it's like, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Guess what? <laughs> that guy's tracking for the old B word, as we like to say on this show. So uh, I'm enjoying that immensely. And I'm like, this is why this series is fun for me is because, like, I like that Montreal sucks, you know? Like, I make no apologies for this. I'm enjoying it <laughs> immensely. Like, again, they were supposed to be the tougher team, the hardened team. They were all in, and Josh Anderson this, and they were going to be tough and yeah. bigger and blah, 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 blah. And it's like... I see a lot of um, not toughness. I saw a lot of quitting on that bench. I saw a lot of – and, again, they can get back in the series and prove me wrong. I hope that they take this and play it in their dressing room and all that stuff. But yeah. this just looks like a complete fold 
by Montreal. So, like, trying to determine stuff from Toronto in this series, that's the harder part, right? Because we're all saying, you know, Kerfoot stepped up. Guys, the the next man up thing has totally happened, right? But if you're getting beat by Alex Kerfoot and Alex Galchenyuk and, you know, Pierre Engvall and Adam Brooks and 42-year-old Joe Thornton, like, that, that's kind of a problem, too. Um, but what has Toronto taught you anything through these games? Like, are you able to learn anything about Toronto despite them playing a team that, again, I'm sorry, doesn't really belong? I mean, that's a tough question. I think, I mean, it's hard to give you a legitimate kind of insider analyst, an analyst answer, excuse me, because they're dominating them all over the ice, right? Like, Carey Price has been pretty good. I think he's sort of met that expectation level for the most part. People were very concerned about him early. But he's getting absolutely no support. And you could blame the D in Montreal. You could blame the lack of depth up front. I don't know what it is. But from Toronto's angle, yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, they're just getting so much production from their depth. And that's how you build a playoff team. And that's where you got to give uh, Kyle Dubas props, like bringing in some of those players. I mean, look, like, look, who would have predicted that Jason Spezza and Joe Thornton would be like, legitimately contributing in the postseason at their age right now in that fourth line? I mean, to me... Those are huge pickups, and not only are they contributing, but they're they're great leaders. And then you sprinkle in the goalie situation that was a bit of a question mark, rather a big question mark going into this postseason. And Campbell's playing really well, and and I mean he's getting contested a little bit, not near as much as I would like, but he's he's doing his job. So for me right now, my takeaway would be they're they're they're, they're a strong puck possession team. They thrive under having that swagger and confidence. I mean, look at. Look at Nylander. Look at how he's playing. Look at his, his body language on the bench. These are games that are huge for him. They're huge for Galchenyuk in that monster game four. That just insulates your, your second and third lines with way more confidence, and that makes them an, an incredibly dangerous team. The only thing I'm going to I'm only thing I'm going to add here is that I've been talking to other current players that I've played with in the past around the NHL, and a lot of them they were chiming in because of the post I made the other night with regards to the, the, the series being a little soft. They were all sort of under the same consensus that it's kind of interesting once Toronto gets out of this North division, right? Like, what are they going to look like? And I don't think anybody truly knows that. And that's not me coming on here trying to crap on them. I've had them pegged to be a a contender the entire year. Like, I'll admit that. But I don't know what they're going to do once they get out of this. I think a lot of us held up North to, like, a really high standard that I think maybe didn't quite deserve that. So, again... That doesn't matter right now. All that matters is this current now. And, again, and, and to my other point, how are they going to look against Winnipeg? Like, that to me is going to be a real challenge for them because Winnipeg's a big, strong team, much like Montreal, but can actually play, and their D can actually move. I do think they're a little light back there to a degree with the loss of some players over the years. But that'll be a good challenge for them. So I'll wrap it up with saying that. I'm excited for that series. Let's put it that way. Yeah, we're all excited for that series because, again yeah. – so much of this is like, all right, if you're a Leafs fan, part of this is you got to thump a rival who is the second biggest fan base and whatever. <laughs> they they can talk all the, well, we don't even care about this team because it's not good enough and we're apathetic and all this stuff. It's like, guess what? Toronto's right. going to carry this for a very long time. You know, until you meet up in the playoffs again, you get to hold on to this. Like, dude, look at like what people in Ottawa know this too. How many times did the Senators have a way better team? Ottawa's gone deeper in playoffs. They've made it to a cup right. final, blah, blah, blah. Guess what? Leafs beat them in the playoffs. That was 17 years ago. 
I still yeah. talk about that with my family in Ottawa. Whenever I go back to Armprior, it's bang, immediately. <laughs> oh, yeah? Well, guess what? Joe Newendike. And then it's like, mm, grumble, grumble. And that's it because playoffs is what matters, so having this is fun. The second part, though, is that it's like it doesn't even really feel like the playoffs have started in some ways, that you really get that in the next round because they're going to have to start to learn new things about this team and they're yeah. facing stiffer competition. And now is that depth going to be able to assert itself against – you know, Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler and Nikolai yeah. Ehlers. Um, I don't know. Probably not the same. Is the team defense going to hold up the same way? Like, I, are you going to have the puck as much? There's way, way, way more questions. But the North Division thing is also really tough to parse out because we're watching these other games where, you know, Vegas and Minnesota are going to seven and Florida looked great pushing Tampa. And yeah. and I, when you watch these games, it's hard to picture any team other than Toronto and Winnipeg in these series being competitive. Yeah, no, I agree. So that comes down again. And, and, and I think it comes down to fans. I think that's the one element that we keep kind of glossing oh, over. We know yeah. it's, we know it's an element. We know it it's a factor, but we don't really probably truly understand how severe it is. And I think it really is plays a big part. Cause I've played in a bunch of playoff series. For example, we were talking about Montreal. What a feeling it is to go into that bell center and beat that team in the postseason with a full house, like, you know, silencing those ole ole chants with a goal or just with a three goal lead at the end of the yeah. period of the third. I mean, that's, that's an intangible that you can't replicate right now. So again, We'll see how this progresses and if they can make strides moving forward in the postseason, maybe in the next round or two. I'd love to see some fans get in that building. But I know that's a different story. Oh, Mark, you, yeah. We can't talk about this again because we spend so much of every show talking about how it's ridiculous I know. we're not having this conversation. We should be having this conversation. We've vaccinated enough people that we should at least be able to broach this, this subject. But we've already hit it like three times in today's show. But, uh, yeah, no, nope, we don't have to go there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're already on like hard, don't get fired watched. Yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> this is, like, like this show is hot seat for like fire. The getting fired index raider is like, dude, it's red. It's threat yeah, level red. We're running in the red no doubt so uh and i'm with i i am hopeful though that the fan thing is impacting these series to some degree because i look at that florida tampa series i was like that's the same sport that the leafs are yeah. playing against the montreal exactly. canadians because it doesn't feel like it and maybe when yeah. they get on the road against whoever it is if they make it to the third round that they'll look closer to that as well but at the moment yeah it does look like worlds apart i do wonder though for this next series say they get through the montreal canadians like sure. they appear to be on their way to to doing i wonder if the way that this has gone like i can see it two ways as this being a positive that you do get some guys into the lineup that wouldn't necessarily get into the lineup and that you get over that that hurdle of of 17 years without winning a playoff series and you do it in an easy way but also yeah. there's a potential negative of just like you get the bends going from a team as garbage as the montreal canadians to a capable team like which which way do you view this this series in contrasting to what the next one could be well you know i again and i, I was saying this earlier getting your second line guys and or even third line players and i'm talking you know, guys like Galchenyuk, for example. I'm just going to use him because he's been kind of a journeyman now for a few years. Mm-hmm. And, and Nylander, obviously, is another guy. But he's been playing better for a while. This gives them an opportunity now to get a little swagger in their game. Because at this level, at the NHL level, I hate saying swagger. I hate the word. But at this level, confidence is king. It really is. And when you're playing with a lot of good players, a lot like the Toronto Maple Leafs are built, it's fantastic. So you can make an argument that playing against a lesser team right now at least as it stands in Montreal could work against you because the series might be a little too light. You're not really contested enough. You're not battle hardened. 
and then you go into the next series potential well, obviously against Winnipeg you can make an argument that that could hurt your team it won't hurt Toronto because they're built on puck possession anyway they're not the type of team that's going to go toe-to-toe with you with battles I'm sure they could if they really want to get physical they have a couple guys that can do that but the changes that you've made there in Toronto rounding off that decor getting some solid goaltending finally like consistent goaltending out of Jack Campbell which wasn't his role to begin with as a backup, but he's flourished under this new pressure. This is a perfect storm for Toronto. And then you add that other element of getting out of the first round, finally, the monkey's off the back. You can enjoy that. That just reinvigorates the group. So I don't, it, it's, it's for sure going to be their series to lose, potentially here moving forward. But, um, you know, you're always going to, and then not only that, but you're going to get a couple guys back into your lineup. I am shocked, by the way, of the Tavares news. I thought there was more, and I don't want to get into this. I don't want to sound insensitive. I just, I thought there was more to the injury than just his knee. Was that what you guys were talking about? It's just his knee? No. So they, the the initial report was just simply that you're not going to even hear from him for two weeks because he's got a knee injury that's going to need that timeline, right? So, you know, which I said, listen, I was speculating, but I was saying that, hey, listen, that sounds a lot like we're not even going to talk about this guy or where he's at progress-wise because obviously this head injury is so devastating, but we don't even want to do that. So we're going to say it's a knee. So talk to us in two weeks and then we'll go forward. And then he's skating. So it's like, yeah, it kind of does feel like the knee thing, like, yeah, guess what? His knee probably hurt. He took a knee-on-knee hit from Sherrod. But, yeah, yeah, that ultimately that was a way of protecting the player, and now he's on the ice. So, yeah, dude, of course this is shocking. Like this. So I I can appreciate that, and and I I get it. You're just trying to protect the player, especially in a hot market like Toronto. All the talking heads, all the attention, it's a lot. So, you know, good for him then. But my point is, just to finish that off, you know, if you get Foligno back in at the very least, you know, Mm -hmm. for the next series, I mean, not that you technically really need him. I do believe you do. But, I mean, the team seems to be playing fine without him. You bring that other leader back in who's a good role player, plays there any way you want, I mean, things are going to be looking pretty good. So all the pressure is on Toronto. It's theirs to lose, really, at least getting out of the north. And then, you know, you have another conversation depending on who they face next. So here we are. Yeah, man. And, boy, the Felino thing scares me. And it's weird, but it, that one actually scares me uh, as much as Tavares right now because Tavares is the uncertainty of ever getting him back because you never know with yeah. concussions. But Felino's thing is clearly lingering and something that he's trying to manage and right. trying to picture it ever getting better as you're playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs is a non-starter. So it's just one of those things where it's like more and more and more compromised for a guy that I think is just like the perfect kind of player you want in big games and big moments and, and tough series, right? So, yep. uh, yeah, that one hurts. So you're a – I was wondering when you were talking about texting former teammates and guys and whether they're missing things. I'm guessing that Spezza wasn't one of those guys, that he wasn't like, hey, you know, I agree. Really, it seems to be missing things, like more tucks for me. Like that's, no. that's, that's what – like he was not one of the guys. That said, you know, you're a Ottawa representative, two-time teammate of Spezza. And, you know, he had a lot of success as a senator, yeah. you know, yeah. like lots of success. Hold on. Do you know where I'm going with this? Because I, I would just no, like, I, do you – yeah. Are we all ready to admit together that the Leafs mean as much to Jason Spezza as the Senators ever did? He came home, he's mean meaningful games with yes. the Toronto Maple Leafs, the team he loves the most, that he's like yes. as much a Toronto Maple Leafs legend now as he was a Senators legend. Are we all ready 100%. to admit that together? Yeah, of course. Now, now we're talking an incredibly small sample size, but 
what a role he's taken on. So, mm-hmm. and and then it's his hometown, right? Like, so to me, mm-hmm. I, and I don't want to put words, and I don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. anger anybody or any fan base in particular. Oh, but you it, already it, have too late. <laughs> yeah, since fans are at your door. He's had an incredible impact there. Let's face it; it's uh-huh. the truth. And, and and Toronto holds a very special place to him. I mean, that's that's where he's from. He's grown up a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. He's getting to play in his hometown. I can understand and relate to that. There's nothing that compares. So good for him. I'm happy, and I can't say this enough about the guy. What a fantastic human being he is, really. And seeing him talking to John Tavares on the ice—that's just that's him to a T. And so I'll leave it with that. I'm very happy for him. I'm actually cheering him on, despite playing for the Leafs. I am cheering him on, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go on record and say that. Yeah, I and I've been a fan of this team since I was a boy, and there are players who were more spectacular. You know, when you're a kid, nobody ever replicates the players that you loved when you were a kid, right? That's why, yeah, like, correct. you know, Curtis Joseph and Ed Belfour and Matt Sundin and Darcy Tucker, like those guys are just like different in your head because. They're just um, like I called. I met Curtis Joseph as in a professional. I called him Cujo. It's the most embarrassed I've ever been in my entire <laughs> life. In an elevator, I was like, I honestly wanted the elevator to just you know plummet down and take my life and just be like, this is over. After I called him Cujo, I was beat red. But anyways, um, yeah, that just sticks out different. But in terms of Leafs, I have enjoyed watching and covering and discussing and. Like, just have, just, I, I gotta say it, like, never had a moment of real letdown. Jason Spezza is at, like, the top of the list. And especially once you start to take into account the human element of the guy and every right. story coming back about the type of person he is and the the hockey rat that he is with the sticks and everything is just like, yep. if you love this game, you love Jason Spezza. And it's been such a treat having this guy on the Leafs. Like, truly. I never would have imagined when he was kicking me out of the heart and crown in Ottawa in 2005 <laughs> and 2006 yeah. to have the whole space yeah. to himself in the basement with two blondes that I would actually like him. And I, <laughs> I like, like him this much. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. a good dude, and we're all we're all like we're all rooting for him here. It's not just me; a lot of the fan base yeah. here in Ottawa is rallying behind him. It's hard to do, but I mean, he's just such a good human being. So there you go. I don't know if many of them would say what you said, though, that he's as much a Leaf legend as he is a senator. I mean, yeah, more so, that, I would say. Uh, are we, we going to say that Daniel Albertson wishes he had been a Toronto Maple Leaf? Like, let's just no. Go I'm not it. going there. I'm not touching that. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, man, I really enjoyed your tweet about Gretzky. We talked about this a little bit um, yesterday about him joining yeah. the TNT coverage and how he's going to be the face of hockey coverage in the United States going forward. Signing I got a lot of Gretzky texts deal. yesterday. A lot you of did. Gretzky texts. Oh yeah, like people are people are uh, want to get their Gretzky takes out. All right. Well, Mark uh, does as well. I tweeted something to the effect of, uh, I don't know how I would continue my career if the great one criticized me on national television, which <laughs> yeah, I'm sure is a, sen- a sentiment that would be shared by uh, lots of uh, current and former National Hockey League players. How do you think this is going to work out? Uh, you know what? All jokes aside, I mean, of course, there to a degree I do mean that. I mean, if I'm, if I'm playing in a game and I find out that Wayne Gretzky, the great one, had something very negative to say about how I played, it would it wouldn't sit well with me. But not not in a resentful way. I would just feel really bad about myself. <laughs> but in any case, it's unbelievable for the game that he's going to be down there across the border representing the NHL in a prominent analyst role. I think it's huge. And I mean, to to that, it's just like I don't know how he's going to approach it. I like to use TNT, the the, the NBA panel with Barkley and Shaq, etc. Rogers. 
I like them. I like the comparison. Now, is Wayne to that effect like as boisterous and, and loud and obnoxious? No, but still, you got a really you got an incredible prominent talking head now that can represent the game down there, give his two cents on every game he's covering. And I think it's a lot of people are going. It's going to resonate with a lot of people. They're really going to get attracted to that. So again, it's huge for the NHL. I'm, I'm pretty pumped about it. I think it's big for the NHL for initial coverage, but yeah. There's a there's a couple things. One is when you're talking about guys caring what he has to say that are currently in the league. I think that yeah, Sidney Crosby is going to care a lot. That he would be devastated if you know that would be a story. But I can't I can't imagine someone going up to like really Kaprizov and being like, did you hear what Wayne Gretzky said? He said you dogged on this. He's like, uh, who is that? I don't know who this is. Uh, I don't yeah, care. Perhaps. <laughs> is it yeah, perhaps. And that's, and that's no. fair. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. But the bigger thing for me is like. Man, how much is he going to actually criticize guys? I, I, I don't know. Hockey is just so different. The thing that works about the TNT panel is like a, those guys have been together forever. But b, like, yeah. dude, the sport is the sport is so different from a discussion standpoint. You just said I hate the word swagger, and I thought that's such a hockey guy thing. Like, hey, no swag. Nobody's got any swagger in here. We've got confidence, you know. And in basketball, yeah. Shaq will eviscerate Donovan Mitchell while he's on an interview with him. Like, where it's like, he goes to Donovan Mitchell, and Mitchell's on the court, and Shaq's like, I don't think you have an it factor. And he's like, okay, man. And that's Shaq. <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, yeah. But that's the sport. I just don't see Wayne Gretzky just ripping apart players or having that no. kind of banter. And so I feel like initially people are all going to be looking for that, and then it's going to be a little bit closer to – um hockey analysis that we've seen in the past and I wonder if that's actually going to be like something that hurts it and hurts Gretzky well, and it's it's fun I, lo I love bringing this up because I watch you know I'll watch all networks and I won't even name any networks in particular but I'll watch a lot of hockey on TV obviously and there are some panels out there boy like talk about watching paint dry it's just like there's no personality um, no one's really having it doesn't seem like anyone's really having fun everyone's so uptight and you make a really good point there and that guys like Shaq and Barkley, not only is it incredibly self-deprecating to a degree, like with their humor, but they're able to like make fun of each other across the table as well as the players involved. And it's just, it makes for really good entertainment. So for me, I'd love to see the NHL get to that point. I think the answer is very simple. They have a lot of old people covering hockey and that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I do believe in having a lot of like, you know, players, like I'm talking players, that have a little bit of personality, come on board and let them speak freely. Let them let them show a little personality because it's that's what's going to attract all these younger viewers, right? The young kids. And again, you can't compare to basketball. It's a different animal. Basketball, yeah. anybody can play. Anybody can pick up a ball and go play. You know, around the corner, outside. It's accessible to poor people, to middle class, to rich people, whatever. However you want to describe it, anybody can play ball sports, right? So of course you're going to attract a massive audience and they do an incredible job promoting the game so for me it gets simple back to my original point with hockey bring in some color you know like some colorful yeah. people that can express themselves have fun and you'll see good products so with wayne gretzky it'll be interesting to see how he evolves if he starts off a little kind of reluctant to be a little too critical that's fine but i'm curious to see how he gets after a month or two on that panel and if he starts to open up a little bit more 
Yeah, I gotta say though, I, I really do think it's getting a lot better that guys yeah. are starting to see the ripple effects. Like, and like, not to pump your tires, but like too much here. But I think that you've done a really great job, and you Thank know, you. there have been guys that have started doing this media thing and realized from I, I got it. I like, I hate to give them so much credit, but I really do feel, and it's not just them. There have been other places, right? Like, we've discussed how I think Hockey Central never really gets enough credit because like Kiprios and McLean were so. Like un like they were fearless with their commentary for so long, but Spit yeah. and Chicklets the same thing is like a lot of newer players are realizing like wow a lot of people really like to see when guys just give their completely unfettered opinions and that that's actually something to be embraced in this sport like that's something Agreed. that draws a lot of eyeballs and a lot of attention and mostly in a positive way right so those yep. guys get a ton yep. of credit but you're seeing it trickle through like all facets of media whether it's you whether it's our buddy Christopher Stieg who like you know yeah. is has been really fearless in his coverage so far and I think a big part for Versteeg is that he didn't get Twitter and so he's like he doesn't know how many people hate his guts uh, <laughs> so, he's like, so he's like staying he's staying out of the worst place but if you could ignore the social media criticism that everybody gets and yeah. be okay and slightly comfortable with being in the spotlight like BX has done, right? right. Then yep. you can have a ton of success and you can do this extremely well and the sport can be covered completely differently. So yeah, I, I, I think that hockey's actually in a really, really good spot. And yep. I, I just I think that the coverage of the game is going to continue to get way, way, way better over like the next five to ten years. Absolutely. I totally agree. Well done, Mark. Uh, we always enjoy talking to you. Uh, talk again soon, buddy. You got Stay it. Home. Thanks for having me, boys. Take care. Yeah, take care, man. Yeah. There's uh, Mark Mathot, former NHL defenseman, co-host of the Wally and Mathot show. He is on Twitter, not on Instagram. I don't believe that's where Versteeg is keeping his presence ever. Mm-hmm. Private ever account, too. <laughs> what, Versteeg? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's oh. point is, uh, he'll accept anyway, though. Yeah, follow yeah, Matt yeah. It's actually one of my favorite Instagram accounts. You and I have talked yeah. about it before, but like, he does really great. It's like you cannot um, watch a, a game, a, a, one of these NHL no. playoff games, without his Instagram and Sean mm-hmm. Avery as well. Like <laughs> when Sean Avery is breaking it down, both of those mm-hmm. guys back to back. I feel like I need Stewie's Twitter account and Versteeg's Instagram account, and that's all I really need for these games. It's like that's the coverage that I need. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is this is the uncomfortable thing, and I, I'm I'm going to give Wayne Gretzky obviously the all the chance in the world. Like, who the hell am I to say like he's not gonna like? It's incredible that he's got a platform and a place where he's going to speak, and the opportunity to hear from the great one on this game is exciting. So I, I don't want to have this uh, this take confused with anything other than like I think it's huge for hockey that Gretzky is there. And he has a massive opportunity to help grow the game that he loves and popularize it down south of the border and make it more, um, make panel shows uh, of greater import and get more attention. But there's something about it that still is like, hey, that is the like, going back in the direction of older media. Whereas to me personally, it would have been, it, it's a little bit more of an indicator that you're getting closer to where the direction is going with Sportsnet's panel, like where it's diverse, it's fun, it's Mm -hmm. like loaded with talent and information. And there's like a mix of like age personality. Like, I I don't know. I, again, I know I'm doing the thing of gassing our own work and 
so it sounds kind of hollow, but I just I I really do think that the template right now is what Sportsnet's doing with it. Yeah, uh, it's it's saying things. It's being unafraid. Mm-hmm. I can't help but it's also fun. Look There's at, camaraderie. I think it's going to be evolving though, even from this point, because you mm-hmm. look at the Stephen A. Smith stuff, and the first video got universal appraise when he was talking about the things <laughs> that he knows about hockey. Mm-hmm. Number one is that the puck is black. There was a, an even more recent video as ESPN tries to ramp up its its. NHL coverage and gets its prominent people to talk about the NHL, which is kind of getting mixed reviews. But guess what? If that's popular and it ends up growing the game and makes these broadcasts and the sport a little more interesting south of the border, mm-hmm. everyone's going to start leaning into that stuff. So it'll be interesting to see where this sport goes from a coverage standpoint, which will be north and south of the border um, mm-hmm. because we are such a monoculture in these two countries over the next couple of years.